0: All right, good morning, everyone It's good to see you guys here today and everybody that's with us online um, you know I know we've mentioned it a few times already, but it'd be remiss if we didn't just you know recognize what today's date is that September eleventh I'm sure just like Scott was saying, we can all remember where we were if we were alive and old enough to have um, awareness uh, we remember where we were what was going on it was sort of in a sense what some say is our generation's, you know, Pearl Harbor, but it's definitely a day that uh, lives in infamy in some context, But you know, I would also say that is this is a great time to remember uh, and remember to pray for all of our, you know, frontline workers, our first responders, uh, you know, many of the the men and women who were part of the lives lost that day, and you know, they stand for us uh, between us and catastrophe sometimes. Uh, and it's because of their willingness to put themselves in the line to serve in that way, to not hold back for their own safety. And spiritually speaking, in a greater sense, I think that's a picture of what you know, the Lord has done for us and then what he calls us to do for one another and for others, is to be willing to put ourselves on the line just as he did so that we can try to minister to others to help stand in that, that way of, of catastrophe. Uh, and, and to bring them through difficult circumstances. But uh, we should always, I think, be thankful for the, the men and women in our society who are willing to stand for us. Uh, so today, uh, as you saw the message, to what can we testify? So uh, if you've read the passage ahead of time, uh, you know, I think that when we talk about testifying or witnessing is, is, is sometimes lumped in there and they're kind of together. We might have certain things that come to mind. So it would be like what images come to mind when you think about the term witness? Well, so what I was able to do is go back into my photo archives and I was able to provide for you guys some verifiable proof of when I was growing up as a young Christian of what it looked like when people would talk about witnessing. So let me bring that up. So that that was me. Now if, if if the Homer Simpson was working right, you know, he would be fading back into the uh, in, in, into the to the green there. But, but for most of my life, that was me, the deer in the headlights, the what are you talking about, let me, let me back myself out of this as quickly as possible without drawing attention. Um, so as a young Christian, for me, both age, because I came to faith in Christ in, in middle school, um, but then also just as a young believer, just in the sense of how long I was a believer, um, you know, I grew up by nature as somebody who is, you know, I lacked a lot of self-confidence, um, very self conscious. I'm really shy, all right, so not very good socially uh, when it comes to being around people I didn't know, um, not wanting to draw attention to myself, and definitely didn't like public speaking, so the fact that I'm up here now, even at this point, is a testament to what God can do if we're willing to be obedient. He's going to, uh, you know, when you come to the Lord, you better get comfortable being uncomfortable because chances are he's going to make you do things that make you grow and actually... Create a situation where you have to walk in faith. Uh, but you know, maturity, spiritual maturity, part of that is getting better at things you're not good at. You know, I think that's maturity. So hopefully I've matured in the years since. It uh, wasn't for lack of me uh, trying to walk in some disobedience here and there and God still being faithful. Uh, you know, I think about evangelizing, and I, you have to understand, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. So, obviously, evangelical, Southern Baptists, if you've ever grown up in that or been a part of that, I mean, you know the heavy emphasis on evangelism. Now, my experience, and so as we talk today, some of you may, you know, say, yeah, I feel that so much. Some say, my, that's not really my experience, and that's okay. So, my thing today would be, take what the Lord wants you to get out of this, and then you can leave the rest. You know, I don't know what the Lord may say to you. But just listen for what the Lord have you say. Maybe for some of you guys, it will be an encouragement. Uh, Maybe for some of you, it'll just be something to strengthen uh, what you're already doing, okay? But when I grew up, my thought about the term evangelism was this, like, aspect of whether it was intentional or just the way it always came across and sort of played itself out was, you know, telling other people about Jesus and that they'll go to hell if they're not saved. You know, I think that a lot of us, if we've been around uh, certain you know denominations long enough, you could probably finish a version of the sentence, but at the end of a message, you often hear, if you were to die today, do you know, do you know, do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, where you're going to go, right? Some version of that. Well, you know, there, there's this aspect of, uh, it was very intimidating for me to think about that, because I was like, I've got to talk to people I don't know, and I've got to start saying, I, I don't know, I'm shy anyways, and now you want me to start how do I tell people this uh, with any kind of confidence, right? You know, I kind of had this, in my mind, it came across as, like, telling people who weren't saved what they were doing wrong. Um, and, and and growing up, it was, you know, things like what? Share the Roman's Road, handing out gospel tracts. I don't know if that stuff still happens. It was big in youth groups back in the day. You know, the, you know, ABC, Admit, Believe, Confess. And, and not that any of that stuff's wrong. I think, though, that... What we might see in our culture today, in generations that are my generation and those surrounding me, is now the outworking of people who may have come into faith without a firm foundation because they came more out of fear than actual faith in who Jesus is. I see today generations of people who claim the name of Christ, but I feel like We're blown about by every wave and wind that comes along. And so I think we have to potentially acknowledge that and think to ourselves, how then, if we want to testify or witness, how do we talk truthfully but yet help people who might not yet know Jesus truly understand what it means to make a commitment of faith? So what does it mean to witness or be a witness? Well, if you look at definitions, you get things like a person who sees an event take place, a person giving a sworn testimony. So a witness does something called testify. And when you testify, what that means is you're giving evidence and you're serving as proof of something's existence or something being the case. Now, in a court of law, do you know what happens if you testify but it wasn't to something that you saw? You testify to something that somebody else told you. It's called hearsay, right? It's information that you got from somebody else that can't adequately be substantiated. It's rumor. Um, it's the report of another person's words by a witness, which is usually disallowed as evidence in a court of law. And in our spiritual circles, when we talk about witnesses, the uh, you know, open profession of one's religious faith through words or actions. And I would say, t- you know, typically speaking in my experience, again, this all comes back to a heavy emphasis on the Great Commission right? That's always sort of what we, we put out there, and I think we have to understand, and, th- and we're not going to dive into this today, but I'm just going to make the statement, is that, you know, there is some debate, depending on when you really talk about it, is when that commission was given, and, and one, don't forget that for a long time in church history, there were no subtitles. There were no section titles. It was just the words that were written. There was no giving you, in a sense, a preconceived idea about what to expect. You would have the words, and you would take them as they were, But I think sometimes, you know, there there is some differentiation in the the people present were the disciples. Now, was that message, that express command given to really them? And not that it didn't apply to all believers to come after, but it wasn't as an express direct command. And then other people would say, yeah, it's for every believer everywhere. We're not going to dive into that because I think that no matter which part of that you would gravitate towards, there is some truth that we would find, I think, 1 Peter three fifteen through 16 puts it in a good perspective for us. And it says, But honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks for your reason for the hope that is in you. And then, let's not leave off the second part of this. And this is good for us to remember today. However, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear, so that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. So I think there's an obvious expectation that no matter what our thought is on our call to witness how aggressive we're supposed to be with it, that part of our life with Christ is that we're always going to be willing, ready, and have a desire to speak about what gives us the hope that we have, All right? Everybody on track with that, at least, that, we, that there is something in us that should never be afraid or shy away from speaking to the hope that we have. Uh, Historian Kenneth uh, L'Otorette, I think, I hope I said that name probably French, but he says this about the spread of the gospel. He says the chief agents in the expansion of Christianity appear not to have been those who made it a profession or a major part of their occupation, but men and women who earned their livelihood in some purely secular manner and spoke of their faith to those whom they met in this natural fashion. So I think that's interesting. That could be something good for us to remember that when you read, if you, get, you know, get beyond the Gospels and you're reading the rest of the New Testament, I mean, go home this week, read through the Gospels, and then pick out how many verses were Peter, Paul, and any of the apostles tell the believers, go out and witness and testify versus how much they're talking about, mm, this is how you live the life according to the Lord. And then let that help you as you go about your life to be a witness based on what you're doing, and how you're acting, okay? So what do we see in Scripture? Well, this is our text today, 1 John 1, 1 through 5. Now, I think this probably, so this is the Apostle John, gives us maybe a good idea of when the apostles were going around, they would come into cities, new places, what was the message they were preaching? What was it that they were teaching that was creating such a firestorm, uh, you know, with the power of the Holy Spirit, to bring so many new people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and to grow the body of the church. So this is what John 1, 1 through 5 says. Mine's, uh, what we're going to read is the NASB version. Uh, You'll see some some things in there. It may, uh, I don't know, may talk about some other words. We'll talk about that. But here's what John says. What was from the beginning, what we have heard. So if you're a marker in your Bible, maybe, you know, underline we have heard. What we have seen can underline what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at can underline, we have looked at, and touched with our hands. I would underline that. Uh, Some versions say our hands have handled. That kind of gives it more of a personal aspect. But what we have done with these things concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen, underline that, and testify, or the New King James Version says to bear witness, and some will say proclaim, to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was revealed or manifested to us What we have seen and heard, I would underline that, and we proclaim and declare to you also that you too may have fellowship with us. Some versions say that, you know, um, uh, well, we'll get to that in a second. So with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. And some versions say that we may have double our joy. That's how they would translate that, be complete. So this message we have heard, again, you can underline that, and announce or proclaim or declare to you, that God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. And then uh, I looked at the you know different versions how they, they they term these things. You can see the emphasis up there. We'll leave that up there for a minute. But I like how the message sort of gives us in this. They, they they use language like you know we heard it, we saw it, we verified it with our own hands. Right? We saw it happen, and now we're telling you. All right. It says the message we heard from Christ, we are passing on. So what are the kind of the key things that we see that John's talking about and how he is going about presenting to the people he's talking to? Well, we see three things. It's about what they've heard, right? You can go to the next slide. What they've seen or witnessed. What they've touched and verified. You see, it was what they experienced That is the message that they would begin with to share. So I would say, let's consider this. Your witness is your testimony, right? You stand as a witness to testify to something. Now, your testimony is your firsthand account of what you have seen, what you have heard, and what you have touched or handled. You know, it's that which you can verify from personal experience, so I want you to think about this. We can only truly bear witness to what we've experienced. If we try to share anything beyond that as fact, it's hearsay. And, and, and I want us to understand this. that I, This is how I perceive it, all right? So a lot of this is just my perspective on things. So it's, it's always up for debate, right? I'm always open for the spirit to tell me something different. But, you know, I see our culture today, based on where it was when I was growing up, as less tolerable or giving us more pushback on the you're going to hell if you're not saved message. I think that culture today is much more willing to stand up and push back against that. Um, when I was much younger, one of my first jobs out of college, I spent a few years in a youth uh, depart, youth uh, athletics department, and one of my fun jobs was to do certification for coaches, and we had to watch these great, great videos. Let me tell you, they were so, so uh, engaging that everybody fell asleep all the time. So about the third time I'm watching them, I'm going, oh my gosh. But one thing that stood out, one of these coaches said, and and I want you to listen to this, he says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Most people don't really care what you have to tell them until they know that you've actually got some skin in the game in their life in some way, shape, or form. You see, without a basic acknowledgement of Jesus or a trust that you and I are reliable, our message tends to be without merit in their eyes. And then it's like talking to a brick wall, right? Sometimes we wonder the frustration that we have. Uh, the Jesusfilm.org uh, got this quote, and I think this is great. Uh, so this is from that. It says, As followers of Christ, how we treat others and what we're willing to endure gives us credibility and inspires people to truly listen. That's why Paul tells the Colossians, in Colossians 4, 5 through 6, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. There's an author named Donald Miller. Some of you may or may not be familiar with that. I would encourage you, if you're willing to just read stuff that is challenging but also you know, helps us sometimes refocus, um, he's got some great books, Blue Light Jazz, if you've ever heard of that. It's, it's kind of old now, uh, but it's still a very good book, make you think. But this is what he says. He, he does very a lot about telling story. But these are two quotes that I want us to think about before we move on. He says, sometimes you have to watch somebody love something before you can love it yourself. As the world watches us, as the people we interact with, when we set ourselves out and identify ourselves as Christians... Do we show people what it looks like to love Jesus so that maybe they understand that's something that they might want to do too? Sometimes we have to see other people love something before we can love it ourselves. You know, a great example of that in my life is like with music. Um, I was never a big fan, you know, like classical, sort of that jazz music. But, you know, uh, the Lord brings me, uh, you know, Naomi, and she, she loves Harry Connick Jr., right? And so we start listening to Harry Connick Jr. You know what happens I watch her, I get to hear her enjoy it. I'm like, hey, this is kind of catchy. Next thing you know, I like Harry Connick Jr. I'm good with us playing Harry Connick Jr. Let's go to a concert. And I really enjoy the concert. But I, in a sense, had to get the appreciation by watching her show me appreciation for it. And then he also says, and let's, uh, sometimes this might be an ouch, but he says, what I believe is not what I say I believe. What I believe is what I do. If you really want to know what you believe, what I believe, it's what we do. You want to know where your priorities are? You want to know what your idols are? Look at your checkbook and look at your calendar. Those two things will tell you where your priorities are. All right. So how do we grow our testimony? So now we're talking about, all right, we have to be able to testify to something. We need to be able to grow what we're going to speak to. So first... We grow through our personal experience with Christ, because remember, we're talking about what we've seen, heard, and experienced. So we have to have a personal experience with Christ, and we have to have a continued experience if we're going to continue to grow, right? As a new believer, you have a testimony, but you can really only personally express what that conversion experience was like for you, and you can testify to the truth of that because it was a firsthand account, right? Right? But sometimes I think part of our challenge, and this is, again, my experience growing up, and I think it's a subconscious, but we tend to be so heavy gravitated toward like getting other people saved, right, snatching them from the fires of hell, that when we do that, the very next thing we try to encourage them to do is go out and do the same thing. But that's not true discipleship. True discipleship is learning how to walk, as Ephesians says, in a manner worthy of the calling. And part of the natural outworking of that will be we want to see other people come into what we've experienced. Think of it like this. If you've never been to a certain theme park or any theme park that you've always wanted to go to, and you go to a travel agent, and they and you say, tell me about this park, and they go, oh, this is so great. You're going to love it here. All these great rides, great people working at the park. They're so wonderful. You'll have the best experience ever you go, okay, well, tell me about your experience. Mm, I haven't been yet. Well, how do you know it's good? I, I read the brochure. I read what they said about it. Yeah, about it sounds great, it looks great, but that, are you sure? Have you experienced it? Or would you want to go to a travel agent and say, well, tell me about the park? And they're going to go, man, I've been to that park so many times, right? You, you know, you should see this ride over here. Uh, I've, I had this problem, and these these people who work there, they take such good care of me. I would I would pay to go to this park again because I had a phenomenal experience. Which one is going to be more reliable for you? Which one are you going to think has credibility to tell you why you should be excited? So when we convert, when we Except Jesus Christ. It's like, we've got the ticket. We're in the, we're on the, the main area. And then a lot of times what we do is we turn people, go back through the turnstiles and get other people to come in. And we haven't yet helped them experience the unfathomable riches of the park. Does that make sense? So I think we need to be aware of what we're trying to testify to, because anything that's beyond our experience comes from our faith but we haven't truly experienced that. We can't say, I can tell you. So one, in this, how do we grow through personal experience? We can think, how has Christ's lordship changed us? How has it changed you? You know, I think about some scriptures. So Mark 5, 1 through 20, we get the uh, recount of Jesus and the demon-possessed man. And so this is what it says. And so he had healed the man, and then Jesus was getting into the boat, and the man who was demon-possessed was begging that he might accompany him. But Jesus didn't let him, right? He said to him, go to your people and report to them the great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy. And then this is what it tells us that the man did. He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. That's what he proclaimed. He proclaimed the great things that Jesus had done for him, okay? Think about Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. We know the fundamental story. He goes there. He shouldn't be there as a Jew. She comes out. They have this whole conversation about worship. And then he tells her all these things. And then she talks about the Messiah. And he says, I am he, the one speaking to you. And it goes on to tell us that um, the disciples came back and they were amazed. And they asked her some questions. and And then she says she left her water pot went into the city and said to people, come and see a man who told me all the things I've done. And then it goes on to say, now from that city of the Samaritans, so many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. But what did she testify to? She testified her experience and the amazing thing that she had in being present with Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say that many more believed because of his word once he went in. And then they said to the lady, it's no longer because of what you say that we believe, for we have heard ourselves and know that this one is the Savior of the world. What about Paul's transformation? Well, in 1 Corinthians, he's sharing, and he says, Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and which you also stand. He goes on to talk about how it was given to the other apostles. And he says, And last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. And, of course, we know the first appearing was on the road when he was blinded. And when Paul gets to Ananias, because, you remember, God sends him to Ananias, Ananias says, For you will be a witness for him to all people of What you have seen and heard. In Acts 26, 14 through 18, Paul is standing before Agrippa, right? And he's talking about, he's recounting his experience. So he's got the ability to testify and witness. And this is what he says. And we had all fallen to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he goes on to recount that. And he says, then it said, But get up and stand on your feet, for this purpose, as Jesus talking to him, I have appeared to you, so that as a servant and a witness not only to the things which you have seen, in which you have seen me, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. So you see, Paul's experience was based on what Jesus Christ did to him, in him, and was doing through him. And in Galatians one, eleven through sixteen. Paul, again, is talking about how, like the words I'm telling you, how do you know them to be true? How can I be credible to you, right? How do you know I'm not just making it up? So he says, for I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel was preached uh, by me as not of human invention. For, neither, for I neither received it from a man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former way of life. And then he goes on to say, but when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, he called me through his grace and was pleased to reveal his son in me. So I might preach him among the Gentiles. You see, Paul said, this is who I was, and you know that, so you know it's true. But because of the experience that I've had, this is what I'm telling you now. I'm credible, right? Right? If, if any of you guys, I like this series. Some people don't, but I'll say it's worth giving it a shot. Uh, there's a series called The Chosen, which is, which is a serial season, you know, of following, you know, this uh, dramatic interpretation. Though I think they generally keep it within the bounds of still being biblical, okay? It's not exact, but they do a very good job. However, now we know that, that Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed, right? And in the show, they show that she was. They show when Jesus comes and heals her that, all right? and like restores her, and then she later in the, in the show interacts with a Pharisee who saw her when she was demon-possessed. He comes to her later seeing her different. He's like, you're different. This is what she says to him, and I, and I think, wow, I think this is enough for us to stand on in a sense. She says, I was one way, and now I'm completely different, and the thing that happened in between was him. Do you have a testimony? if you're a child of God, you do, because you should be able to testify, I was one way, now I'm another, and the one thing that happened in between that changed it was Jesus Christ. I mean, I can go, I'll I'll go sit down right now, how about that? Is that good? Jesusfilm.org also has this quote. says, Paul was willing to debate people about the gospel, but throughout his letters, he pointed to his experience as the most compelling proof of Christ's significance. As believers... We need to be ready to reason with others about the validity of the gospel, but we can never lose sight of the power of our own testimony of God's goodness. Someone might argue with us about the authority of the Bible, but it's a little more difficult to debate someone whose message is, I once was lost, and now I'm found. Because you've got something that you know to be true. And people can't tell you that you're making it up, because you're like, no, I was there, thanks. <laughs> right, I'm there, All right? Uh, two. Uh, under this what events in your life haven't made sense but in the moment now you can see how Christ was working can you look back in your life and see where something didn't make sense but now you can see now again what you're getting today I don't want to highlight myself but I can only I can only testify to you what I've experienced I'm just going to share something there's a time in my life and people will laugh at this I know I know Steve's going to laugh when he hears this like patience has always been one of my struggles I don't know why just being patient you know, it used to be that I was, like, ready just to try to get to wherever I had to go as quick as I could. Well, one time I was out on I-95 going to an appointment. This, kids were super young. And, uh, you know, to go in and get back to the exit, you have to go into South Carolina, turn around, and come back and get to the, to the rest stop, which is where the person I was meeting was. And so I'm just, you know, tearing up the road, get down, like, man, i got to get back. So I'm going all out on I-95. And I'm thinking, all right, I know that it's coming up somewhere There's a semi. It's like I see the semi passing the off-ramp, and it's like I got to get over, or I have to go down to Port Wentworth, turn around, come back, turn around. So I'm like, all right. I come in. I'm in a little Ford Ranger, rear-wheel drive. I come in behind the semi, pop off onto the off-ramp, but there's this – the pavement's not level. So my back tires hit. I slid down the off-ramp, trying not to hit the wall – started doing 360s across the grass in between, 360 to cross all lanes of I-95, ended up in the emergency lane looking back at the traffic coming toward me. I didn't hit anybody. I didn't wreck. and I didn't cause anybody else to be harmed. And in that moment, I understood the Lord must not be done with me yet. And honestly, that was one of the pivotal moments of my life. The reason I can stand before you today is at that point I said, well, if you've got something for me to do, I need to be obedient to do it. And since that time, he has put me in positions and situations that have made me uncomfortable. But I have said, I had an experience. It didn't make sense. If you've been on 95, there is no way I shouldn't have caused somebody else to swerve and wreck, or I shouldn't have been killed. You can argue with me luck all you want, but that was the hand of God. And in that experience, he told me, it's time for you to do what you're uncomfortable with. And then I can also tell you about, it didn't make sense when I was working at the job that I had before where I am now. And I was so beat down emotionally, just there was so much pressure. It was difficult. And as a believer, I was like, I shouldn't have these feelings that I have. I shouldn't have this attitude that I have. And I tried in my own power and strength. And I just could never, it could never last, right? And it, was, it was a negative impact on me spiritually, emotionally, on my family. And it just didn't make sense, right? But the Lord moved me out of that. And then he moved me into where I am now. And within months of me being there, you know, those of you who are familiar with the situation, our family has walked through in recent years with Naomi, that happened. And guess what? I was in the right place with the right people that I worked for. In the right situation that allowed us to navigate that in a way that didn't, didn't interrupt our ability to maintain a home or do other things. It didn't make sense why it was so hard. But I look back, and I think God was like, you hear that, you know, Paul's like, I want to go preach there, but I can't. Like, I can't. I was like, I want this to work so well because, you know, it's paying well because we've got stability, whatever. It was like the Lord was saying, nope. When are you going to finally say, trust me? I want to move you out, okay? So that's an experience It didn't make sense, but I can look back and see how Christ was working. Third, what challenging life experiences has Christ redeemed for his glory in your life? You know, I think about, we can think about Peter's restoration, right? Peter denied. He was broken, broken. Jesus comes to him and redeems him. And then look how God and Christ have been glorified, and look how Peter, because of that redemption, was able to glorify Jesus Christ in his life. You know, I've even had times in my life growing up, again, I came to faith as a young person in middle school. There was still a lot of understanding to happen and what it meant to be surrendered to Jesus Christ, to be an obedient servant. Grew up in a Christian household, so it's like I knew the words. You know, if anybody's grown up in a Christian home long enough, you can play the game just fine with all the church people. You know the right words. You know the catchphrases. You can act like you need to act around church if I think you're a good person. Right? But, you know, as I get into my young adult life, I mean, honestly, you know, the fact that I am where I am is a testament to how God refused to let me go past certain boundaries. But there is a definitive time in my life where I was struggling to walk in obedience. But through those times that I wish hadn't happened, I can look back and see how Christ was forming something in me that made me ready for the next stage. Okay. I didn't know what I wanted in a permanent relationship until I figured out what I didn't want. And I was like, well, I guess I have to be okay with just being me. And then before I knew it, boom, I have a blessing that is now my wife and my life. See, Christ redeemed those things that weren't great, but because of my disobedience, because I still try to be faithful and I was still surrendered, he worked it out for his good and my good, right? And so I feel much more secure, right, in who I am in Christ, but it's because of Christ. And so we'll tell you the story one day, but just even the story of how Naomi and I met, if we can sit down and have time, it's too long for today. I mean, we can go back. It's like we keep going, oh, yeah, and then there was that. Oh, yeah, there was that. There's so much it's almost hard for us to remember. But I will tell you that's how, we can, that's how I can see the moments where Christ is working I didn't realize it and how he's redeemed things for his glory. Secondly, when we talk about how do we grow our testimony, it's through participation in the life of kingdom community. Now, this means we have a responsibility to grow together and Luke two twenty says, and the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as they've been told so you have the shepherds have this group experience that they witnessed together and then they went back and told these things that they had seen and heard right first john four fourteen John's continuing in this in this uh, Book here, he says, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So there's this plurality of, it's not just me. It's myself and the other apostles that were witnesses of this. Our word is faithful and true. We experience this together. And if you don't really believe me, there's other people you can ask to corroborate my testimony. What about Peter at Pentecost? In Acts 2.32, when he's speaking to the people, he says this, This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. So he's saying the things we're about to tell you, you think we're crazy, you think we're drunk, whatever. No, we were all witnesses to these things which we're proclaiming to you. And then later in Acts, when Paul and some of the apostles are before the Sanhedrin, Paul says, and we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So again, you know, what we see is there is this group experience that allowed the apostles to stand firm in that testimony. They had together. They grew in this together. Now, Peter goes to Caesarea and to Cornelius' house. Remember, Cornelius is a centurion. And he's breaking open the gospel and preaching the word, right? Cornelius is like, I got all my family. Tell us, what's the message? Peter says... We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. And then he goes on to tell them, you know, they put him on death. God raised him up. And he says, on the third day, and granted that he, meaning Jesus, be revealed, not to all people, but to witnesses who had been chosen before him by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him. And after he arose from the dead, and he ordered us to preach to the people and to testify solemnly that this is the one who has been appointed. So he's even saying... There are witnesses. We had this group experience. There is truth. You know the things that you heard happen. And guess what? There are witnesses that you can go verify with if you don't take my word for it. And then when Paul, speaking in uh, of Antioch, he says, he's preaching, he says, but this is Acts 13, 30 through 32. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. The very ones who are now his witnesses. So the witnesses were the ones that had a personal experience of seeing Jesus Christ. They could testify to what they had experienced because they knew it to be true. So we have to ask ourselves, in this concept, how do we grow our testimony through the church? Question one, how or where have you seen Christ live through fellow believers? I can tell you in the time that our family has been here at Grace, I could tell you of multiple times I've seen brothers and sisters love others in a way that only comes because they have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I have seen it. I could testify to you of my own reality that I have seen what that can look like. When I was growing up, my mom and dad were part of phenomenal Sunday school class. That's what we had at the time, Sunday school classes, right? But as I was growing up, I witnessed this group of people love one another in such a way that when they saw each other on Sunday, that could have been the third or fourth time they might have seen each other or fellowship with each other that week. We were constantly at other people's houses. They were constantly at our house. You know, as a kid, I'm like, i got to go to somebody else's house. I don't know. But I, I saw it. And let me tell you, when our family went through what we went through, some of the people that were part of that experience with my mom and dad, they were the very brothers and sisters who helped meet the need that we had. I have seen, I declare to you what the Lord Jesus Christ has done and can do when a group of people live together and have experience together and love one another. Okay? Okay? Second, how or where have you personally experienced or interacted with Christ within the community of believers? You know, and I will tell you again, you guys, Grace Community Church, some brothers and sisters that aren't here anymore with us, but our family, going through, name situations, situation, other things we've been dealing with as a family the last few years, our experience during that time, Christ Interacted with our family through Grace Community Church, and not by name, but by the love of the people who cared enough to just come alongside us in various ways. You know, when she got diagnosed, it's like, you know, like our home, like most people, you probably feel like you got too much stuff, right? It was, there was this need for us to have an environment that was conducive to trying to recover from what we knew was coming working full-time. You know, she's in her situation. There was no way I was going to get this done on my own. Well, let me tell you what. People who were brothers and sisters in the faith from outside of Grace were part of this, but the heavy presence was from Grace. Look, I had people show up at my house one day when I said, I'm going to start. You know, I got I to paint this. I got to pull up the flooring. I got to do all this. Let me tell you, it would take me a little while to think back of the different brothers and sisters as part of Grace Community Church who came were the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ so that I was not overwhelmed. I can testify and declare to you that Jesus Christ has moved in my life and my family's life because of the faithfulness and obedience of others who have called him Lord. Thirdly, what does the church body together declare about Christ, right? What have we as a church body experienced together together? We know if we've been in church culture long enough or if we've just read enough stuff, there are times when things happen in churches and sometimes it's church split, sometimes it's people leaving, sometimes it's not very pretty. And so I'm not saying there's never a time to move on, but I will challenge us all with this. Unless it's the Lord calling you to move on, moving on out of your own unhappiness or own offense, might not really be obedience. Because you see, unless God clearly calls us away, we can't just leave because we're upset or offended. Right? So are we upset and offended, or is there a biblical basis or a biblical issue which isn't going to be resolved, and we don't want to be part of it? There is a difference. And so even in the midst of sometimes being upset, sometimes being offended, if you read scripture, I think you will clearly see there is a call to persevere in faith through Christ. Second, under this, what are, are we bearing witness to a better way? Are we bearing witness? Are we manifesting a better way? You see, working through difficulty is one way that Jesus reveals himself and strengthens us as a body in a community. If it was all sunshine and roses, there would never be any iron sharpening iron. There would never ever be Jesus pushing you out of a comfort zone so he can continue to grow you. There would never be an opportunity to surrender more of your life, more area of your heart to his lordship. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but it says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Before you leave, have you made every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? Have you given Jesus Christ the opportunity to manifest and reveal himself in a way that restores and redeems something that allows a church body to have a testimony to what Jesus Christ can do and will do? When we speak to one another, do we speak to one another the words of God? Are we speaking life into one another? Sometimes it can sound cheesy to be like, hey, brother, hey, sister. But you know what? In comparison to what the world thinks is like normal and cool or whatever, we are weird. I mean, let's face it. The way Jesus calls us to care. I mean, if we really look at the way Jesus calls his disciples and then they call us, and the New church, New Testament church is called to live together. It's so weird. And it's a little bit like, I don't know about that. Right? But you and I don't get to pick and choose what what's right according to the Lord. So think about when you speak, when we speak to one another, are we speaking the words of God and are we speaking life into one another? Even in challenges, can we speak life into one another so that we can let Jesus reveal himself to the person that we might have conflict with? Thirdly, and I I think this is big for adults, but I really think for our our young people, I think this is a great challenge. Do we protect one another, especially when out in the world? You know, it's easy to come together and we're at church function. And even at church function, sometimes we're sort of like separated, right? We just, we have some like pockets. We can go to school. Do we act with people who proclaim our Lord? Do we bring them in? Do we protect them? Do we love them? in a sense, against what the world's trying to do? They may be different from us. You know, you got Christians that are in the popular crowd in, 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 in the world. You got Christians that are in you know the nerd crowd or whatever. you know that would have been me, right? But when we are believers, all those kind of designations are gone. Jesus Christ calls us to only have one thing, and that is him as Lord. We have one Lord, one faith. And he calls us above all other things to care for one another. It doesn't matter if caring for a brother or sister who's looked down upon from the world makes the world laugh at you. The obedient thing to do, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, is to come alongside that brother and sister and be willing to take whatever the world throws at you. That is it, unequivocal. Anything else is justification to disobedience, and I'm just going to say that. We have a call to care for one another. Peter even says, do good to all people, but first, first, most important, to the household of faith. So what can we proclaim that we have seen, heard, and experienced? Do we have, are we building an unshakable foundation because of what we've seen, heard, and experienced? Like I will tell you, again, my nature, introvert, shy, don't stand in front of people, right? But I will tell you this. I'm at a point in my experience of Jesus Christ I don't care what you say about me. I don't care what you say to me. I don't care how difficult you make it for me to live my life. You will not move me off of the foundation I have. And it's strengthened because of how Jesus Christ has lived and how I have experienced him. As a young believer, I could be blown about. I could be influenced because I didn't have the experience to really hold fast. I didn't really have a good idea of telling, you know, my story of the conversion, right? Because for me, it was kind of like, you know, grew up in a Christian household. It wasn't like a big thing. You, you, you can't move me. If every person in here stood up and said, no, you're wrong, we disagree with you on this, and there was something I felt passionately about that was obedient to the Lord, that's fine. I will stand on that. Why? Because to do anything else would be to be a false witness. It would be lying to what I know to be true. So lastly, we're going to finish up with this. How do we testify to the world? One, we need to look for opportunities to share our testimony. Not evangelize and tell people, you know, they're wrong, you're going to hell. Living like that, believing that, doing that's wrong. No, opportunities to share our testimony, because our testimony ought to be, this is what Jesus has done I have seen it, I have heard it, I've experienced it. In Acts 17, I think this is a great example of an opportunity. In Acts 17, you know, Paul goes to Athens and he says, For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. He went there to bear witness to God. He saw an opportunity And he took the opportunity, and he was prepared. Let that be an example to us. And then, how do we prepare and ready ourselves for opportunities? One, we prepare through a commitment to daily seeking the Lord and seeking experiences with Him. If we want to be prepared to to share our testimony, we have to be growing our testimony, and that only happens through our experience with Jesus Christ. Two. We need to be committed and intentional about sharing in the life of the church body so that we can be a witness to the work and the manifestation of Jesus who is living and active. Now That's a presupposition that we all believe that Jesus is living and active, that he's not just in the by-and-by hanging out waiting for the end times. No. You read Hebrews, you look at Scripture, Jesus Christ is who was resurrected in a glorified body, who spent 40 days here after the resurrection, who physically ascended to heaven, who is, in a way that our minds can't really comprehend, who is physically there, is alive in our human world, and he is active today. He is. And so, all we committed and intentional about sharing and body life so that we can witness... The work of manifestation. Are we going to bid ourselves in a position to see the great things that Jesus does with brothers and sisters? Even if it's not our direct experience, of it happening to us, we can see it if we're involved. If we're not involved when we can be, if we don't take opportunities to fellowship and gather together and be a part of experience, we're not going to have a testimony. That's anything other than hearsay? We have to be committed to this aspect of what God calls us to as his children. You know, I like the saying that I heard this, you know, luck is when preparation meets opportunity, right? Opportunities come along every day. Whether you recognize it or not, it's a different story. But if you're prepared, I guarantee you, you'll be much more ready to see the opportunity. Some people say, oh, that was lucky. No, 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 no. You didn't see the preparation that this person did for however long to be ready for the opportunity when it presented himself right? So here's a good question for you guys, and we're almost done. What are you doing, or what am I doing right now that requires faith? What's going on in our lives that requires us to have faith that says, I don't know if I've got that. I might not know the way this turns out. If we're not doing something in our lives that's requiring faith, something bigger than ourselves that really only the Lord can do, then are we really giving an opportunity to see him live and move and act? Are we giving him an opportunity to be manifested in our lives so that we have an experience that we can bear witness and testimony to? Uh, Going back to the JesusFilm.org, I mean, there's just some great quotes, but this is what they say here. It's easy to think that you're not ready to share your faith. Again, that was me when I was young. No idea, no desire, didn't know, very intimidated. But you don't need to have an answer for every question or a counter for every argument. You just need to be willing to open your mouth and talk about Jesus and what he's done for you. Courage is the key to sharing your faith. Let people see your example and tell them how Jesus has changed your life. It's a simple message that we occasionally overcomplicate. Author David Briscoe says this, In fact... Except for God, no one is more an expert on you than you. That's why, for the believer, there's no more powerful way to evangelize than to simply tell your Christ story, the story of how you came to know Christ and how he has transformed you. And then uh, finish up with a quote from Donald Miller. This is what he says. A story is based on what people think is important. So when we live a story we are telling people around us what we think is important what's the story of your life day in and day out does the way that you live show that Christ is important to you does the way that you live show that Christ is supreme does it say that he's Lord does the way that we live our story as a a church as a body does it show what we think is important Does it show that we believe what Jesus said about loving one another, that that's important? Does it show that we believe that Jesus says make every effort to keep the bond of unity and peace through the Spirit? I'll I'll leave you guys with this. Uh, A lot of you guys that listen to contemporary radio, you'll know the song, but I listened to it this morning and it's just, man, it's one of those songs that it would go on my all-time playlist just because it's <laughs> so good. So there's a, story, uh, there's a song by Big Daddy Weave called My Story. I just want you to listen to these lyrics, as we're, and, and then we'll finish up. It says, if I told you my story, you would hear hope that wouldn't let go. And if I told you my story, you would hear love that never gave up. And if I told you my story, you would hear life but it wasn't mine. If I should speak, let it be to the grace that is greater than all my sin. Of when justice was served and where mercy wins. Of the kindness of Jesus that draws me in. Oh, to tell you my story is to tell of him. If I told you my story, you would hear victory over the enemy. And if I told you my story, you would hear freedom that was won for me and if i told you my story you would hear life overcome the grave if i should speak let it be of the grace that is greater than all my sin oh of when justice was served and where mercy begins oh the kindness of jesus that draws me in oh to tell you my story is to tell of him so I think when we think about the responsibility we have, there's a responsibility, and it shouldn't even be something that we do as a responsibility. It should be an outworking of our relationship with the Lord. But we need to be prepared for opportunities to testify, and testifying only happens because of what we've seen, heard, and experienced, because that gives us a foundation. Nobody can nobody can tell us that our story is not true because we experienced it. Oh, to tell you my story, if you were to tell your story. What kind of story would you have to tell? Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to just come together, to freely worship, to fellowship, uh, to dive into your word. I just pray that in what was spoken, there was something that you would have resonated with those who hear as as they may need in their life. That it wouldn't have been me, but it would have been you that was uh, being proclaimed here today. I just thank you that you love us, that you work in the story of our lives, that you've, because of our relationship with you, that you can turn that new chapter, you can write that sequel. I pray for our strength, that we will seek you in our experiences, in our individual walk with you, but that we will also be committed to seeking the experiences of you in our relationship with one another. Or wherever you may send us, that you would have us be committed to your lordship, and that we will be ready and looking and excited to build a testimony that speaks to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, I know Bobby's not here, but look, if there's anything you guys want to pray about, you know, the altar is all